So let's say you go to a really busy event or you're on a bus or you're somewhere where there's lack of seats. Who would you give your seat up to? An 88-year-old woman comes in, would you give your seat up to her? A small child, to them. A woman, if you're a man. A foreigner, someone who's handicapped. Who'd you give your seat up to? What if somebody really rich came in, like Bill Gates? Would you give your seat up to him? Hey, by the way, I have this plan I'd love to discuss with you. How about somebody really, really important? like Charity Heverly or the president? What if Kanye came to town, brought his Jesus is King thing? Would you give your seat up to him? Who would you give your seat up to? Who wouldn't you give your seat up to? A politician, Governor Kate Brown. (laughs) Stir the pot right there, huh? We all have this hierarchy in our minds that we stratify people. And we then kind of have our crew, this is our crew, and part of that's okay, but we're in this book called James, and James leaves no stone unturned. So he's going to say there is a tribalism, a favoritism that's not healthy. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 2, where we're going to just move through this passage. That's just like it's written, essentially. Read a passage, kind of tell you what it's about, then read the next passage, and then get to the final point. His point is brilliant, I think. So let's check it out. James chapter 1, chapter 2, excuse me, verse 1. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So James begins to address this, you could call it tribalism where we divide out into certain tribes. And he says, in this thing that we do here, there's not to be any favorites. Because once you put your faith in Jesus, verse one, chapter two, something should have changed in the way that you view the world. So his example is this rich guy, and literally in the Greek, it's the gold-fingered man. I love that just blinging, just showing the bling. He's got a gold finger. And then there's another dude that comes in and he's homeless. And to the gold-fingered man, the church is like, hey, welcome, front row seat for you. What can I do? Can I get you something? 
And to the homeless dude, hey, sit over there or literally be at my feet. Stand at my feet. Let me rest my feet on your back. You can be my footstool. That's his example. Now, isn't that the norm out here in the world that we live in? Isn't that the norm? If you take a flight on a plane, who gets on first? And what does that mean? They got money, right? Is their seat better than the cattle class? Do they eat better food than the cattle class? Do they get off before the cattle class? Absolutely. They get every favoritism, every preference in the world. Why? Because they have money. So my son, my 12-year-old son, Elijah, he just realized this, that there's differences in the way that you fly. So he's like, dad, I want to be a professional scooter rider. You know, those little scooters that they do flips on or whatever. And, and I said, why? He said, because Tyler Chaffin, who's a professional scooter rider, who's like 18 years old, when he flies on a plane, he flies in his own room. I'm like, well, okay, yeah. I said, I have my own room and I'm not a scooter rider. He's like, dad, your room doesn't fly. That's true, okay. You go to the Grammys, you go to the Emmys, who sits in the front? You're A-list, you're big time. That's the way it works out there, right? But in here, verse four, he says it's evil. In here, that's not supposed to happen. Now, why is that? Why is this different than that? This is supposed to be a home, right? The Bible uses that as an analogy. So if you invited all your friends over to your house and you see them according to favorites, would that be awkward? Yes, don't do that. It also says that this is a family, that we're a family. Imagine if at the dinner table, I sat my kids according to their GPA. Okay, you're 4.0, you're right next to me. You're 2.0, down at the end. Actually, let me rest my feet on your back, son, daughter. Right, that would be bad. Or how much money they made. Or how nice they were. Or how good of a massage they gave me. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Right? You would say you're a psychopath because that's not the way family's supposed to work. So James is saying yeah, that, that might be the way it is out there, but it's not supposed to be that way in here, right? Well, Matt, come on. It's not that way in here. We don't do that. We don't have, we don't have that kind of thing. Oh, you don't have your own seat? Right? It was so funny. The first three months when we moved in this building, People like migrating around trying to figure out where their seat was going to be, right? Like, oh, no, no, no. And then boom, here it is. And I can tell the seat you're going to be in. You got your seat. Did you know 150 years ago in churches in America, you could buy a pew. You could put your name on that pew. You could lock that pew. You could put curtains up around that pew. You could put pillows. They had a show called Pimp Your Pew. And no one else could sit in that pew. It was your pew. And out of that came these denominations. So if you hear about the EV free denomination or the free Methodists, you know what that free stands for? It didn't cost to sit there. I read that and I think, 
Did they ever read the book of James? I mean, this is insane. Or even more recent in our history, in 1955 when Rosa Parks decided, no, no, this is wrong. This seating thing is evil. Were they reading their Bibles? Because she was right. This seating thing is evil. And it's subtle. Every sociological study has found that if you took two people and their resumes were identical and what they could offer a company was identical, but if one of those people is a little bit taller than the other person, the taller person gets the job. It's subtle. Every study has shown you take two people that look exactly the same or have the, excuse me, that have the same resume, but one of them is judged more attractive, they will be making more money because it's this subtle bias that we all have. We have them, some against men, some against women, some against the young, some against the old, some against a race, some against educated or uneducated, rich, poor. And what happens in history, what happens out there when you take those biases is, this is what happens. They say, they say, sociologists say, one of three, three things will happen in a society that does that. Number one is elimination. It's you can't stay here. You have to leave because you're different. Number two is domination. You can stay if you obey. If you do, if you live, if you obey. And then thirdly, or excuse me, domination, then thirdly, assimilation. You can stay if you do what I say. If you do what I say is important, then guess what? You can stay. Those are one of the three things that happens in societies when you have these biases. And what James is saying is, this is to be totally different. The kingdom that Jesus Christ came to build is not built on one of those things. It's to be a very different kind of kingdom. So he says, look at God's example, verse five. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. You and I are inheritors of this coming kingdom where the kings and the queens that will inherit and rule and reign with Jesus, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? So James says, number one, money's no reason to give somebody respect. Think about what rich people are doing to you right now. James would say 2,000 years ago. Instead, look at what God does. Verse five, God drafts the Z team. He drafts the people that you would not expect. He takes the ones that you would say, what in the world are you thinking, God? And I think James is reflecting on the Old Testament here. Because if you look at the Old Testament and you see the people that God uses, it's the opposite that we would choose. So read the book of Judges. There are two big names that stand out in the book of Judges, Samson and Gideon. Samson was a stud. He's the cover of bodybuilding magazine. He's as strong as they come. He's witty. He's smart. He's amazing. 
A lion jumps out and attacks him and he grabs this lion and rips that lion open like a bag of Doritos. I mean, he's it. Does Samson ever lead Israel into revival? No. In fact, the end of Samson is super sad. He's blinded. He's bound up. He's just grinding wheat. He's brought into the temple of Dagon, the enemy's temple, and that temple falls on his head and kills him. The other guy, Gideon, the first time you meet Gideon, he's in a hole hiding, making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. When the angel of God shows up and says, hey, mighty man of God, and he pops his head up and is like, where, where's he at? And it's like, it's you, Gideon. And what does Gideon say? Uh-uh, it is not me. He literally says there, I'm a 98-pound weakling. And yet it's Gideon that against one in 450 odds defeats the Midianites and leads Israel on a 40-year revival. Go to the first two kings. You've got Saul and David. Saul, when they saw Saul, they said, he's a king. Because it said he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He's the tall dude. He gets the job, right? He looks like a king. He talks like a king. He acts like a king. And he was a colossal failure. David, very different. When Jesse, who was David's dad, was told, Samuel's coming. One of your boys is going to be anointed. Bring them all in here. Jesse gets his boys in. Samuel sees the first son and is like, that's a king. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome. That's a king. And God says, no. You look on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart and I've rejected him. And then he goes to the next one and the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one. And God says, I've rejected all of them. And so Samuel looks at Jesse and is like, hey, are all your sons here? Well, of course all his sons would be there right? Of course he'd bring all his sons in. Samuel's here to anoint one of them king. Of course all his sons would be there. Nope. Not David. Why wasn't David invited in? Because his own dad didn't believe he was king material. Oh, David. Oh my goodness. Out there with a sheep, playing a harp, Golly, dancing around in green leotards? Just, no way, don't bring him in. Uh-uh, he will embarrass me in front of Samuel. Uh-uh. It's the overlooked that God says he's the one, the Z-teamer. And he becomes the benchmark for every other king in Israel's history, the overlooked son. Look at the way God chooses people. The overlooked, the poor, the last, the weak, and uneducated. You know why? Because then God gets the glory. Look what I did with him. Look what I did with that moron. I think that's what God said when he chose me to be pastor of this place. Look what I can do with a moron. Watch. And he gets the glory. Praise his name. When Jesus comes and he chooses his 12 disciples, does he go down to the seminaries in Jerusalem and look for the top of the class? Nope goes to a bunch of fishermen. And every time he asks these fishermen, read the story. Every time he asks these fishermen, hey, have you guys caught any fish? Guess what they say? No. Nope. Like they're failures of fishermen. They're not even good fishermen. They're terrible fishermen. 
And Jesus says, I'm gonna choose you and I'm gonna change you into something. I'm gonna make you into fishers of men. That's what I'm gonna do. And Acts 4.13 says this, that when all the people in Jerusalem saw these men, they said, we noticed that they were unlearned and ignorant men. The Greek there is idiotes. These guys are idiots. And yet they're turning the world upside down. And they took note of them because they had been with Jesus. Look how God chooses. He chooses so different than us. Not the tall, not the attractive, the overlooked, the Z-teamers. And God says, watch what I can do with them. Here's the trouble with us. We only notice people after God's chosen them and done something incredible with them. And they're like, whoa, look at that person. Because we didn't notice them before when they're unattractive and not very good. If only we did, then we'd say, whoa, look what God did. Have you ever heard of a guy named Billy Graham? Pretty big name. Preached the gospel to more people than anyone else in history, right? We see Billy Graham today and we're like, oh my goodness, what an amazing man. Rewind the tape. Because if you rewind, one of the first time he preaches, there was this young missionary girl in the audience and she wrote in her journal that night, I had the urge to run from that meeting because the preaching was so terrible. That girl's name, Ruth, who later becomes Ruth Graham, his wife. When Ruth and Billy started to date, Ruth's mother, mother said this to Ruth, do not marry Billy Graham. He won't amount to anything in life. That's the one God loves to use. And we just see the product of it. So James is saying, listen, Back up. You have no idea the potential in that person. You have no idea what I can do with them. Wait. So James is saying, in this dog-eat-dog world that we live in, where people are being used for whatever, you're either going to murder them or you're going to have mercy on them. Notice this. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. James says, hey, believers, you and I, have this royal law. If you remember last week, I said part of the job of believers is remembering who we actually are in Christ. A royal law is for who? Royalty. Heirs of a kingdom. Kings and queens in training. You and me. And guess what the royal law in scripture is? Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a massive topic. 
Because if you know your Bible, you and I were created in the beginning. In Genesis 1, we are created as image bearers. Let us make man in our image, the Imago Dei, and let us put them in this place, and they're going to rule and have dominion over the earth. You and I were created to be kings and queens on earth, replicating how God rules the cosmos down here on earth. We are created as royalty. That was day one. We're royalty. Now, some things got broken and got messed up, no doubt about it, but there's still that image bearing in you and me to this day. And so Genesis would say this, every single human, regardless of status or education, regardless of race, regardless of gender, every single human is an image bearer of God. And because of that, deserves dignity and honor, simply because they've been created in God's image. The only way you can believe that, the only way that you can believe men and women should have the same rights, the only way that you can believe that is by believing Genesis chapter one. The only way that you can believe rich, poor, sassy, unsassy, educated, uneducated, the only way you can believe that, that everyone is an image bearer, everyone deserves dignity, is by believing Genesis 1. So every once in a while, I have a great opportunity to talk to an atheist. And I love a really educated atheist because it's a fun conversation and I usually learn something. But at some point, I'll just ask an atheist, according to your system, why should I be moral? According to your system, why should I love my neighbor as myself? According to your system, how should I do that? According to your system, why do men and why do women deserve the same rights? And you know what? There's no scientific, there's no concrete reason. There is none whatsoever. They can't give me one. I've yet to have anyone give me a good reason other than that's the right thing to do. Oh, so it's a preference. So I prefer tea, you prefer coffee. I prefer human rights, you prefer mass murder. Right? That's all it is at the end of the day. Because if you and I were not created by God in Genesis 1 as image bearers, if we are created through survival of the fittest, then guess what that means today? Might is right. If I'm stronger than you, I get to take what I want. If my crew is bigger than you, we get to dominate you. Might is right. That's the only rule then. There is no such thing as loving your neighbor as yourself. There is no such thing as morality. If I've got the money, I can make you my footstool. And it's just, that's the way it is. So the royal law is unbelievable. And the royal law is so unique. You know what? We bathe in it. We don't even know it. But you go to another culture and all of a sudden, the royal law is not there anymore. So I've had the chance to spend five different long trips to India. My last one was about, uh, it was just over a month. And that time I went with my wife and I went to this place, it's called Spencer's Plaza. It's like my favorite place on earth. Cause you go there and you can get any kind of shirt you want for two bucks. So whatever your preference is, Quicksilver, two bucks. Gucci, two bucks. Armani, two bucks. Now are they really Armani or really Gucci? Yes, they are. I guarantee it. <laughs> So it's an awesome store. I'll go there and just <clears throat> pack up on shirts. If you know India, it's a Hindu nation. 
And Hindus believe in what's called reincarnation. So you have lived a certain kind of life, you die, and that life that you live echoes into your next life. So if you're a really good dude in your previous life, you're gonna come back and you're gonna be rewarded in the next life for being a really good dude. But if you're a scoundrel in your previous life, that echo from your bad stuff comes into your new life and that affects their civilization. So I'm coming out of Spencer's Plaza. I'm with my wife, I'm with my kids. I've got my shirts, I'm super happy. I walk out and there is a beggar on the side of the road. And he is like, I've never seen a body in this form. Because right after his ribs, it's like his entire body just shrinks to a post and then goes to what, what is, you couldn't call him legs. It was just something else down there. And he's got one kind of good hand that he's just holding out for money. And I'm staring at him until my wife like pokes me. Stop staring. But it was almost like the engineer in me was like, how in the world does that work? That's not possible structurally, right? So I pulled out, gave him a hundred times what you're supposed to give somebody. And then I walk 30 feet and there's this big poster board of these um, bumper stickers you could buy. Most of them are in Hindi or Tamil, but one of them was in, in English and it said this, beggars are fools and only fools give to beggars. And it was like such a juxtaposition of what I just saw and the compassion I had for what I just saw versus really the philosophy of Hinduism, which is he deserved it. He did something in his previous lives that he deserves his condition. So we can walk by him. We can ignore him. We don't have to help him because he earned this. And maybe in the next life, he'll get better luck. It's why in Hinduism, and it still happens to this day, you can take a baby girl and leave her by the side of the road so that she dies because they believe, well, next time she might come back as a boy, a higher level, and then we'll keep her. It really matters what you believe. James is calling us. He's calling up in us the way that we're created. He's calling up Genesis chapter one that you and I are royalty and we rule through this law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when we don't, when we show favoritism, verse three, he just says, it's, or verse four, excuse me. He says, that is evil. When you start putting people in their place, hey, because of your poorness, you're here. Because of your disability, because of your race, because of your gender, you're over there. He says it's evil. You ever been put in your place by somebody? Maybe because of education, maybe if something you couldn't control. You ever been put in your place? One time happened to me, that I can remember, it's probably happened more, but it was kind of humorous. I was working as an engineer. It was the first time I'd ever gone out on this kind of business trip thing. I was setting up equipment for a giant EPA test down in Fresno, California, because they have really, really nasty air down there and we need to study really nasty air. So I'm down there, I've got my badge on, everybody's got their badges on, you can kind of see the important people. I'm just head down, I'm doing my work. When over comes this guy, and this is literally how he introduced himself to me. I won't give his real name. He said, Bill Allen, Harvard, PhD. I was like, ooh, 
Okay, Grant, I said, Matt Heverly, Grant's Pass, Goat Farmer. <laughs> he just cracked up. We're actually, we actually became friends after that. But that's like, that's the business world, right? It's always this kind of like, who's better, who's bigger, who's more important, who's taller, who's more attractive, who has more degrees behind them. And we all do it at some level. We're carrying on one conversation. We see somebody that we'd rather have a conversation with. So we ignore that person and move on. When you walk by one of your friends who's not as popular because there's another friend over there that's more popular. When we use people to step on them to get what we want, whatever our selfish desire might be, we all do it. We all do this thing. And the Bible says it's evil. The Bible says every single human, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, every single human is an imago day. Your neighbor that you can't stand is an image bearer of God, right? The president or the president before him is an image bearer of God. The person that just cut you off in the parking lot and took your parking spot is an image bearer of God. Whoever you right now can't stand in your heart is an image bearer of God. The Trumps, the Clintons, the whoever it is, right? The Kate Browns, they're still an image bearer of God. In-laws, outlaws, homeless, people on a mansion. Each of them is an image bearer of God deserving the royal law, to love them as you'd like to be loved. I don't know, and I'm a history buff, of a time that we've been more divided as a nation than right now. Did you know they just took a poll, 70% of Americans think we're headed for a civil war? 70%. Things are so bad now, identity politics, the way things are at, just 70% said, this thing's gonna only end in a civil war. Like, whoa. So what's the cure? The cure is, you and I need to act like the royalty that we actually are. We need to act like King Jesus. What did King Jesus do as you walk, as you read his story? We're doing that on Wednesday night through the book of Luke. You know what Jesus did? He constantly had meals with the wrong people. How many times does, he, does the higher ups get mad at Jesus because he's eating with the wrong people? You're eating with tax collectors and prostitutes and drunkards. You can't do that. He was constantly eating with the wrong people. He told his disciples, listen, when you throw a party, invite the homeless. Don't invite the people that are the cool people. Invite all the wrong people to your parties. When Jesus told a story, who were his heroes? Were they good Torah observant Jews? Uh Uh-uh, right? The story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritans were the hated ethnic group in their region, and he's the hero. When Jesus first disclosed that he's the son of God, Messiah in the flesh, you know who he told that to? A five-time divorced Samaritan woman who was currently trading sex for rent. Read John chapter four. It's the first time Jesus says, I'm Messiah. Jesus was constantly like just turning things on its head. And you read 
As the gospel goes out from Jesus to his disciples into the book of Acts, Acts does the same thing, that there is a theme through Acts of God saying, watch what I'll do. I'm gonna connect together two people that would never connect together. Read Acts chapter eight. Philip, good middle-class Jewish man, great guy. And God says to Philip, hey, see that Ethiopian eunuch? A black, sexually altered man. Go hang out with him. That would never happen somewhere else. Acts chapter 10, Peter, who's a business owner, fishing business. And they're being occupied by Rome and Rome has put on them hardcore taxes. You think our taxes are bad? His taxes were bad, right? And he would want nothing more to throw off the oppression of Rome. So guess what God does to him in Acts chapter 10? Go have a meal with Cornelius, the leader of the Roman army in that area. Why? Because it'll change you. The reason why God, I think, is constantly doing this kind of stuff is because when you sit down with somebody, everything changes. I have this great article by George Saunders. And he followed like the Trump rallies around for a long time. And he said, at every Trump rally, you get both sides. You have the right there that's like, we love Trump. And then you get the protesters there that are like, we hate Trump. And so he would interview both sides. And he found this, no matter what side he went to, if he threw out like a controversial subject, he would get slogans, just rah, 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 on either side. Just, it was party line slogans. But if he actually brought a person, he brought an immigrant and introduced them to them and asked the same question, he got compassion and kindness, no matter which side it was. But why is God always trying to put us together like this? Because you'll find out you got a lot more in common than you have that divides. There's a lot more Imago Dei in us than what causes us to hate each other. And this is for your good. Like James is not saying this, the royal law is for our good. I think hearts are like trees. You know something interesting about a tree? It is either growing, adding growth rings, or it's dying. There is no other, there's no middle ground to a tree. Either every year it's growing, getting another ring, or it is dying. That's it. I think it's like the human heart. Your, your heart is either becoming more royal, more royal, or it's dying. It's getting less and less and less and less. Do you know somebody that hates everyone? Like an old person that just hates everybody. Most of us do. They didn't start out that way. They started out hating somebody. And then the somebody became them. And then it became everybody that's not like me. And now they hate everybody. And their heart is cold and dark and broken. And James is saying, I'll save you from that. I'll save you from it. So I have a very long quote by C.S. Lewis. I don't usually quote long quotes, but this one's really good. It's from his book, Mere Christianity. If you're a new Christian and you're looking for a book to read, this is a great one. If you're an old Christian and you're looking for a book to read, it's a phenomenal book. I'll reread it because it's just that good. So this is what he says on this whole idea. Consequently, though Christian charity, loving your neighbor as yourself, 
sounds a very cold thing to people whose heads are full of sentimentality. And though it is quite distinct from affection, yet it leads to affection. The differences between a Christian and a worldly man is not that the worldly man has only affections or likings and the Christian only charity. The worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian, trying to treat everyone kindly, finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on, including people he could not even have imagined himself liking at the beginning. How cool is that? You grow. The same spiritual law works terribly in the opposite direction. The Germans perhaps at first ill-treated the Jews because they hated them. Afterwards, they hated them much more because they had ill-treated them. The more cruel you are, the more you'll hate. And the more you hate, the more cruel you will become. And so on in a vicious circle forever. This is a money little quote. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later, you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparent trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or railway line or bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Good and evil are increasing at compound interest. So James says, don't be evil. Don't play favorites. Don't be partial. Don't be prejudiced. Instead, be royalty. Be kings and queens. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I've been reading this sociologist. His name is Robert Putnam. He is a Harvard PhD, so he can introduce himself that way. And he looks at things that are interesting. And he had this article he did based on a bunch of research, and he just said this, diversity doesn't work. And I'm like, what? So I had to read it. And he just says, if you look at what happens with people when when they're put in diverse situations is, we actually go into tribes then. Everyone kind of shrinks back into their tribes. And he's got all this data to back it up. And I'm like, man, that's heartbreaking. He said, there's two exceptions to this rule. He says, the army. In the army, he found the most diverse relationships anywhere. Because all of a sudden, you couldn't choose who you could be friends with. It was, here's your platoon and your friends no matter what. Sometimes you got to fight it out and then you'll be friends later. But he found what happened was people hung out enough with each other that they found out, hey, we're actually a lot alike. And they became friends and they kept those friendships throughout their life. The second place he found was, guess what? In church. So he went to the deep south because he knew, guess what? In the deep south, there's been a lot of racial problems down there. So he went to the deep south to find out, hey, does church make a difference? And he couldn't believe it. He said, in church, it was the only other place that I found incredibly diverse people laughing, having meals together, loving each other, living beautifully and brilliantly. I'm telling you, we live in a very divided world right now. And this thing right here, 
this royalty that God's creating, we're the answer. You and I. You know why? Because you and I didn't get into this thing by our smarts. We didn't get in by your good looks. We didn't get in because we had money. We didn't get in because we are awesome. We got in because we were a Z team. So what happens in places where they won't get diverse is this. It's always us versus them, right? They're the bad people, we're the good people. It's always dividing out that way. Rich people were the bad people in this time or rich, poor people are the bad time, whatever it was. Educated are the bad people. Uneducated people are the bad people, right? Guess what the Bible says? You're all bad people, but I've chosen you and I've set my love on you because of my grace and my mercy. And you come in the same way through the blood of the cross. You come in the same way, broken, coming to the healer. And guess what that does? It's level then. It's level and it's beautiful and it's brilliant. And it's the only thing that has a chance of healing fractures. This thing right here. So I'm gonna ask you to do one thing. That's it. This is my application. Have a meal this month with the last person you'd wanna have a meal with and just listen to their story. Hey, tell me about yourself. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. Maybe it's a neighbor you can't stand. Invite him out for dinner. Invite him over for dinner and just say, tell me your story. And guess what you'll find out? Hey, I got a lot more in common with you than divides us. And I can live this royal law. I can love you like I love myself. Try it. It's what has the power to change our world. This thing right here. Even Robert Putnam, a non-believer said, church has this power. So Jesus, we want this power here. We want the power in Grant's Pass. We want to see our city changed. And it happens by the royal law. We're kings and queens in training. We're heirs of the coming kingdom, as, G as James says. Help us to live by that royal law. To love our neighbors as ourselves. And we pray this in your name.